The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28 and now... And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it. It's a Saturday morning edition of Hail Varsity Radio. It's Elijah Herbal and Mark Cranach with you here early on a Saturday morning. Chris is somewhere on assignment. Uh, he's he's supposed to be showing up here at, at some point in time. Maybe the 7 a.m. wake-up call was too early for Schmidt. I don't know. He said, give me five. That's a direct quote. Give me five. So uh, I'm not quite well, sure what that means. But happily, it's, uh, continue. We'd happily do that. Or a fist bump or something, right? I think Is that what he's looking for? He's looking for some dap? <laughs> I don't guy? think so. No, like, no. That's okay. That's probably not it. It's probably not it. It's a... Uh, it's a big recruiting weekend again, and it appears, it appears under Matt Rule and the new staff, it's kind of always a big recruiting day. Oh, you're just or dive, diving right in, huh? Just diving right well, in on a Saturday morning. Well, what else are you going to do? Right? What else are you going to do? Wait, we can wait I, for Schmitty, but no, I'm, I'm with you on this one, actually. Early bird gets the Schmitty's going to be here. We're going to get Schmitty eventually. Um, but you know what I mean? He just sort of like, speaking of diving right in, I'm taking a cue from Matt Rule, Elijah, is what I'm saying. Because um, that dude's diving right in. Been to a lot of high schools already uh, in the state of Nebraska. Been to Philadelphia a handful of times. Um, it's been it's been impressive from that standpoint. You, you, look, you always get a little concerned I say always because Nebraska has been through a handful of these coaching changes. You always get a little concerned when the new guy comes in. You're like, well, look what they're doing. Sort of insinuating that the other staff didn't or (laughs) insinuating that it's all going to work out. Not saying that, but, but you can definitely say that the level of activity that Matt rule and his crew uh, have undertaken since getting here on the recruiting front is a, is a noticeable difference from what it's been the last few years. And that whole thing about, oh, let's find track guys. You know, he, he likes to find speed. Like, who doesn't like to find speed? That's been, that's been a little bit of a, a weird thing to to read about as well, is that, well, I mean, every coach is looking for speed. You're playing the sport of football. Right? Like, of course you want speed. It does appear. Now, Frost Frost was like that when he first got here, and then he kind of abandoned it because he went all over the place with, I guess, what he was what he was looking for, it seemed like, anyways. Or went all over the place in terms of who he could actually keep on campus because a lot of guys transferred out. But it seems like when Frost first got here, he was valuing speed as well. 
Remember Miles Jones? Right? Remember guys like that or like had really good track times? You bring those guys in and they never saw the field. They didn't even, didn't even sniff it, which is a little bit of the concern. But that's what that's what Matt Rule's doing. He, there are multiple sub-11 second 100-meter guys that are either offered or in the fold already. And he's confident that he can develop those guys into actual football players rather than just track dudes that play football. Uh, well, the, the, so we'll the, see. The noticeable it seems change, like a gamble. The noticeable change, Mark, is the fact that this recruiting class is built on three stars as opposed to being built on four stars. It's, it's toolsy three stars that they think that they can build up into something given a couple years of development rather than four-star guys they can they think they can step right in and, and need less development. With some three stars underneath, and you, you hope a couple of them pop. It's almost opposite. It's we're going to build this, this roster, this recruiting class on three stars that we're going to develop, and we hope that we have a couple four-stars that we mix in there that pop and turn into something special. And that's the difference. It's not we, we want our. It felt like the the philosophy from Frost and his staff was we're going to try to build a a roster of four stars where the starting lineup is is the four stars with some three stars and some walk ons that are able to pop and surprise us that slide in there and fill some holes. But it's predominantly built upon the four star. And I don't think that Matt Rule and his staff give one damn about what the recruiting rankings say and how many stars a kid is. That's a noticeable change. And what it turns out to be is. It's a roster that now seems like it's being built up on three stars that they see something and that they think, you know what, with this speed, with this frame, with this insert whatever trait this kid has here, we can develop everything else around it in a way that brings out this best trait. So if this guy is fast, he's got 10-5 track speed, we're going to build a football player around that and, and have the best part of his game be that 10-5 track speed. And that, that's the noticeable change I'm seeing, the fact that it's not about the recruiting rankings. It's not about the stars from Matt Rule and his staff. It turns out it's a lot of three stars. Those are the guys who are gettable right now. But it's guys that they have a trait that they think they can build upon. And that's what they're going out and recruiting rather than just saying, you know what? Look at this four-star offensive tackle that we got here from small town Iowa. That's perfect. We're going to beat the Hawkeyes in a recruiting battle. And that guy's going to be our starting guard for four years. That actually looking at development and looking at how this guy's going to scheme and fit in the Big Ten. That, that's the noticeable change I'm seeing, Mark. It's well, and that's fair. And I, I think you're right. Here, here are the benefits of that. The benefits of that is that if you're going after these more lightly recruited guys, let's be honest, some of these guys have, were no stars. And this is this tells you a little bit about that system of recruiting. Who, who's the cat they got from Texas? The the ten four, Bryce Turner. Guy. I forget his name. Yes, Bryce Turner. So they they get him. He's like Nebraska was like his only legitimate power five offer he wasn't even ranked on any of the recruiting services he was a no star it didn't mean that nobody like he wasn't even evaluated everybody just thought he was like track guy nebraska offers him he commits boom he's a three star all of a sudden Hmm. right like so there's a little bit of that that happens in recruiting but the the benefits of doing what rule and company are trying to do of offering and trying to get the the three star guys is it's a little it's more efficient. Hmm. I mean, let's be honest there because if you're Nebraska, you have you you have to travel all over the place. You have to be you have to spend time on airplanes more than most other staffs do. You just do. That's just part of it. So you have to be a little bit more efficient. So going after the heavily recruited, highly ranked four star and putting a lot of eggs in that basket 
while 15 other major power five schools are doing that too. What do you, what's your batting average going to be there? Hmm. Like, what's it going to be? You know, it's not going to be super high. And then even if it is, like we could we could spend an entire show going through the litany of four stars that have committed to, signed with, and come to Lincoln and done absolutely nothing and transferred out. Mm. Like it's it's actually uncanny. Nebraska's ability to land hollow four stars has been incredible. Well, it's it's felt like as I look back like, now that as I look back, I go, oh, this four star is not a true four-star in that same sense. It's almost feels like the scraps from the big dogs is, is, yes. is, is here's, here's the, 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 the Georgia and the Bama's and the Ohio States of the world got who they wanted. And here's the four stars that are left over Nebraska and whoever else can fight for this scraps. And it almost felt like a case where they're going in there and fighting for scraps rather than going and trying to find somebody who fits the team and fits the dynamic. It's that speed city element you're looking for. You're now going, well, here's a four-star that's what we got left. This is the guy we're going to have to go after. That's what it's felt like over the past couple of years. And Mark, to your point, and let's reset quickly. It's Mark Cranick, Elijah Herbal, Chris Schmidt finally chiming in here on a Saturday morning. Right uh, when you said, right when you said scraps from the big dogs, Chris Schmidt's face appears on the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it appears on the uh, stream if you're watching. How we how we doing, fellas? We good? Oh, we're I think good, better man. than you. We, we are. We're breaking down recruiting right now. Yeah, we're breaking down recruiting and three it's, stars it's versus about, four stars. It's a it's it's about uh, the uh, the rule fit right versus the wow factor and uh, foam and we'll of of hype. I mean that's that's the mm -hmm. you know it's not like he's going to ignore, but you know what it comes down to with with recruiting. The I recruiting, want to know. The, no, the recruiting class ranked 21st in the country, or let's say third or fourth in the Big Ten. Let's say fifth in the Big Ten. That's about where Nebraska lives, yeah. Sure. But that that gap between Ohio State, all right, and in Nebraska, uh, pending, depending on development, is, is like Grand Canyon wide. And it comes down to the depth of it. Nebraska can have a couple of guys at the skill spots that are pretty good or has had guys at the skill spots that are pretty good. But Ohio State's just got way more. Case in point, you look at the emergence of a Marvin Harrison Jr., right? Uh, you have Ohio State that's had issues with health at their wide receiver position. I think back to the Rose Bowl against Utah last year. And that's kind of when Marvin Harrison Jr. really, really, after a season of seeing some action, burst onto the scene. He was a blue chip prospect, but man, did he use the year to get better and stay in, engaged? And then he had a shot to to get a start in the Rose Bowl, and and wow, did he go off! Right, the, the gap is is so big with your top probably, you know, three to five recruiting winners, Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, USC, Georgia. that ilk. Yeah. And, then, and then you've got your Nebraska through, let's, uh, let's say Texas Tech, right? Texas Tech's always been a program that's kind of went and got who they can go get. And uh, it's about development and evaluating right and then 
being able to, uh, to to build and then eventually reload. Iowa, Northwestern, uh, you look at Wisconsin and, and Nebraska. Nebraska has always been a little bit ab- above from a recruiting ranking standpoint, the Minnesotas of the world, the Wisconsin's of the world, the Iowa's of the world. But uh, the evaluation part of things, can this kid go help us win our, in our program by his second and third year? Those guys have done a pretty good job of hitting on those types of players, not only on the line of scrimmage, but you think back to some of the running backs that kind of came out of the blue. How, how heavily and highly recruited was uh, Mo Ibrahim or Braylon Allen? Uh, really, really good ball players, you know, uh, just yeah. case in point there. The gap between one and five uh, in the recruiting world rankings, I think those are always pretty accurate because I don't think uh, analysts are wrong with their top 100 type recruiting picks, right? You have your top 100, and then once you get that line of demarcation after 100, I think you are uh, pretty pretty even depending on camp and how much of a showcase you get to, to help bump or boost you. Yeah, look, you had – I think the 2019 class is a great one to look at for Nebraska – now, and this isn't like a crusade against four stars, by the way. No. Like, if good. you can land them, great. <laughs> if you can land them, great. But Nebraska signed 11 in that year, okay? And let's listen to some of these names and whether or not they even got here or are still here. Desmond Bland, never got here. Ramir Johnson, hit and miss. I like him. In fact, he might have guy. new life. He might have new life under Matt Rule because he actually fits the profile of the speed that, that he likes to see. Jackson Hanna, he transferred out, right? That he did, yeah. yeah. didn't see much time. Yeah. J- Jamie Nance transferred out. transferred out. Nick Henrich, he's been a player. Dedrick Mills, he got a couple years out of him. Bryce Benhart, multi-year starter, though oft maligned. Wandale Robinson transferred out. Obviously a good player. Ty Robinson, good player. Noah Pola Gates has a sift field. Jakeem Green didn't really see the field left. So out of that, out of those 11, you have one, two, three, four. You got you had five starters. Um, I would say in terms of like all conference caliber or close to it, you had what, Wandale? That's kind of it. Kind of it. So so you really hit you hit big on one of those, but you couldn't keep them. No. Anyways, it just shows, though, that you got 11 of those guys in. Five of them didn't even stay. I mean, didn't even stay on the campus, for crying out loud. Um, so your efficiency, your hit rate, not great, man. <laughs> not no. great. You, I, I think you are better off securing people that you think will be committed and you think will likely stay, and then maybe going after putting all your eggs in like a Tommy Frazier basket which I think was sort of the model under T.O. back in the day. Like, it's not like T.O. never got top-shelf talent. He did, right? Like, Amon, big-time recruit. Tommy Frazier, big-time recruit. But there were a lot of dudes that weren't, that were more developmental, that had, like, the frame, or they had the speed, or they had sort of the love for Nebraska through connections. You knew that, and so you wanted to You just didn't make it harder than it was, and you recruited them, you signed them, and then you went all in on somebody like a Frazier 
Well, and, and right. I, I think that's kind of what we thought the formula was for Scott Frost and his staff because you're seeing the the Wandale sprinkled in, you're you're seeing the Thomas Fedoni sprinkled in, and you think, oh, that's the crown jewel to this 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 class of of guys that are you know a whole bunch of four stars. You can expect a whole bunch of stars, and here's your 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 crown jewel of the class that's going to come in and be where, where you focus your offense on. And it didn't turn out to be that way simply for the fact that it didn't feel like there was development among those four stars or really among anyone that was brought into the program. It didn't feel like anyone was making leaps and bounds. And yet you saw them their freshman year, get some spot duty. And then, Oh, they come back their sophomore year and they look better. And then after that, it's their junior year. Now they're consistent starter and they look really good. You never quite saw that. It was always, you saw some flashes from like them freshman year. And then now they're thrust into a starting role, sophomore year. And they don't look all that much better than they did their freshman year. Still making some mistakes, and some of that hype starts to to evaporate away. And then by their junior year, they're still starting. But Husker fans are saying, "Ah, oh, well, uh, there's some new talent coming in in the recruiting class. Maybe they can uh, upset this guy that didn't quite pan out to his uh, his full potential." And you go, "Well, he never quite got any better after his freshman year." And then with that, the the Wandales and the Thomas Fedonis and whoever you think is going to come in and be your dude doesn't have a supporting cast around them. Yeah. I look back also when we talk about evaluation, and I I can't imagine having a job hinge on how well uh, an 18-year-old is going to adapt to stardom and fame, uh, life away from home, deal with adversity, maybe there's injury, and then God forbid you have a pandemic where you don't get football or you don't get some development time or you've been injured. I mean, think about McCaffrey v. Max Duggan, right? Okay. I mean, we, we can get, we can go back and look at that that quarterback class. What was it? 2018, 2019? Mac was McCaffrey was was he the 2018 or 2019? He's 2019. 2019, class, right? I thought right. And 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 him was and that Duggan, McCaffrey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Frost second. Yeah, but Duggan was right there too, right? I mean, that was the year, or am I off a year? Nineteen or eighteen? Yeah, he was okay. he was around there. But, but yep. it came down to evaluation, where you have a kid closer to home in Duggan in, in Council Bluffs that you were in on. Yeah. But you go with McCaffrey because of the the splash in the name, and and I think McCaffrey's had a really nice had a nice year at Rice, but it finally took somebody else. Telling him that you're well, a, you know you're a receiver dude, not a quarterback. Well, yeah, I, I, the for, thing for is him to, for him to listen. The thing is that I'm not sure. Like we, we've had this this game so many times we've played where man, imagine if Joe Burrow had come to Nebraska. Man, imagine if Max Duggan had come to Nebraska. Man, it, imagine if insert Lamar game Jackson. Don't forget Nebraska. Lamar Jackson. All these names, and then you also have to sit back and go, well, if they came to Nebraska, if they followed the the, the formula for Nebraska, you'd have seen that guy in the field his freshman year. You'd have seen some flashes, then you would have never quite seen the development throughout his career, and you would have ended up being some sort of flame out where you went, ah, oh, man, well, think about what could have been. We saw the flashes, but he never quite put it together, never quite had the talent around him. That's been the story of everyone who's come through the, the doors of Nebraska over the past eight years has been, man, you see the talent there. The development hasn't quite been there. Let's just blame it on the teammates. He didn't have enough help around him. And and I don't think I'm so dumb to think, I guess dumb might not be the right word, but I don't think that if you get a Joe Burrow or a Max Duggan or Lamar Jackson, Nebraska, they turn into who they turned out to be because they went to the right fit for them. They went to a right school that developed them the correct way. I Okay. There's, there's an argument for that. The only thing I would, I would push back on there is particularly with guys like Joe Burrow and Max Duggan. I think what we have seen from both of them 
is an insane amount of competitiveness from both of them to where like th- those are the type of dudes that come in and they change locker rooms right they change locker rooms because the level of effort that they give day in day out play in play out is just different well counterpoint it's though just Counterpoints is Adrian different. Martinez. Adrian Martinez was competitor. He was a leader. You hear the same thing. He goes to K-State and he's changing the locker yep. room. He's turned into something, but he never yep. quite was that at Nebraska. He never quite developed like you thought he would. He, You always saw, well, didn't have the talent around him to be competitive. But then he goes off to Kansas State and changes the locker room there as a great leader. Uh, helps out even whenever he can't play. His competitive nature shines through, and he helps the young quarterback and, and gets a shout-out following the conference championship game because of what he did to help that quarterback. It, it, it's that same story. That's just my counterpoint. As a fifth-year here's, – here's the difference, though. That's as a fifth-year guy, right? That's as a fifth-year guy with legitimate competition in the locker room with him. You know, because we saw that. When he goes down, they didn't skip a beat. They still played well offensively. Mm-hmm. My point being, it, look – and this isn't a, an indictment on Frost morning. That's not what we're trying to do. But he talked about how competition was so important, right? And according to one writer, when it came to Joe Burrow, for instance, when Burrow had expressed interest and wanted to come here, Frost was like, do you think he's better than what we got? Right? It's like, I don't know. Bring him in and find out. If Have you're about option. competition, Have right? That if you're If you're about competition and you have a dude that has been recruited by and trained under Urban Meyer's staff, who has a, I don't know, decent track record for winning football games, right? You have a guy that wants to be here, was recruited by Ohio State and was given a scholarship and was in a competition with JT Barrett and lost that competition. Bring him in and find out, right? So if you think he's better than what, I don't know. Let's see. What, how much better, how much different would Adrian Martinez have been if there was a Joe Burrow breathing down his neck and vice versa? Now what do you got? Oh, maybe you got a quarterback controversy. Look, if you're about competition, if you're really about it, shouldn't matter. It should not matter. Just bring him in, duke it out, let's see. Same with Max Duggan. Same with, absolutely the same with Max Duggan. His, his dad was an offensive coordinator at the college level and in Texas and a head coach at the high school level. So you know you're getting a heady coach's kid. He's got the measurables, obviously. He's good size, good speed, accurate, <laughs> gets after it. Bring him in. Like, but they, the, and th- that's the, I think that is probably one of the bigger criticisms is just sort of the overthinking it and not seriously just r- sort of taking the idea of let's roll the ball out. Right, and let's see who rises to the top. I would Joe Burrow have won the Heisman at Nebraska? No, because they didn't have he didn't have the supporting cast. I get that, but would he have been a steady player that's dependable that can make all really, really yeah. good as an option? He would have been really good. Same same with Max Duggan. Those guys aren't going to be flops. No, you know it's not like it's not like TCU is is you know the Dallas Cowboys or anything. You know, but Duggan's got him in the damn playoffs because he's good. He's really good. So, what about Brees down, Hall? It comes down Same to, deal. It comes, what about Brees Hall? What about oh, James that, Husker that, Lynch? That was, that about, was bad. That was this bad. Dude, Brees Hall was bad. He's just up the road, Cranach. And he, yes, and he had a Nebraska connection and wanted to come here. And he his, his uncle to bring him in. Played ball here, yeah. Yes, 
And then a dude named James Husker Lynch. The dude's middle name was Husker. He ended up being all Big 12. You didn't bring him in. He ended up being all Big 12. So, like, it's just stuff like that. It doesn't appear that this staff is going to make it harder than it is. That, at least, and that's the hope, anyways, right? Like, for instance, Tristan Alvano, Omaha West Side kicker, right? Kudos to Mickey Joseph for even offering him a scholarship the day after that state championship. But if you watch a kid in Memorial Stadium just clinically assassinate five kicks right down the pipes, one of them under all the pressure in the world to win a state title, like just offer him. Like, stop, stop it. Mark, offer him. Before we get to break here, right. I just want to bring up, it's going to be so fun this fall whenever we have a kicking competition at the University of Nebraska, and that's what we're talking about on Saturday mornings. <laughs> Who's going to win the kicking battle? What's the update? Who was better in practice this week? I got sources at practice that say Alvano was 12 for 12 this week in team period. He was awesome. He's going to win it, yeah. and we're going to have that conversation all fall. It's going to be great. We, we, can, we can set the tone right now where the entire team has to run gassers Unless you make this kick, Alvano, and he's money all the time. The teammates love him. <laughs> but here comes Bleak Road. <laughs> yeah. Hey, watch Zayn Flores go down to Okie State and kill it. Oh, he, he totally will. And he was right up the road. And you could have just probably got on him as a sophomore or junior and brought him into the fold. But you didn't. You but just didn't. The, the, I don't think that's good. I don't think those misses will happen moving forward. The, but the cynist in me also says... Based on what I've seen over the past couple years, and I know it's a new staff, but Zane Flores comes to Nebraska, he flops. That that that's just the the the, the sinister in me from what I've seen over the past couple of years. If that yeah. that dude's gonna go to Oklahoma State and be a baller, if he comes to Nebraska, he's it's gonna be a case of ah, oh, what if? I always thought this guy was gonna be better. That's how it's gone over the past couple of years. But we do need to get to break. Yeah, weekend edition of Tale Varsity Radio presented by Currency, uh, Mark Cranach, Elijah Herbolt, Chris Schmidt. We remember our. Buddy, the pirate, Mike Leach, this was before you and me went to Ireland, Cranach, as uh, we had uh, Coach on, and uh, we talk a lot about, uh, well, Ireland and swearing. It's pretty good stuff, so stay tuned for that. Brady Altman's is coming up as well uh, to talk some recruiting. And then uh, Gary Sharp, the Iron Horse, with this Weekend edition of Hale Varsity continues, presented by Currency. Now it's time to get back to the Hale Varsity Radio Show with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. All right, that's it! You two guys leave me no choice. No television for a week. What? Back into it at Tower 2 at Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Getting ready for football season. We welcome in the Pirate Coach Mike Leach of Mississippi State. Coach, how we doing? How's the, uh, the summer been treating you? Um, I'm doing good. It's been kind of a whirlwind summer. These summers get shorter and shorter. Um, you know, you, you, you enjoy the summer, but then you also uh, um, certainly look forward to the season. Uh, one thing about summers nowadays is um, that now that the kids are out of the house, you get a lot more freedom and you can do a lot more things. Uh, so that part's pretty fun. So I traveled kind of far and wide a little bit this summer, maybe not as much as I do sometimes. Uh, but I went to Panama. I went to uh, Cartagena, Colombia, and then uh, went back to, I'm from Wyoming, went back to Wyoming for the 4th of July, and then uh, was in Florida 
quite a bit. And uh, uh, basically, yeah, I had, uh, had a pretty good summer and, uh, and uh, could probably be talked into a couple more weeks, but certainly looking forward to football. Well, week zero, uh, we're headed over to Ireland. Do you want to go? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're talking to us some uh, about that. What, what do you think about the Ireland deal? I, I think I'm going to uh, make sure myself is knocked out for an 18-hour flight. But other than that, I can't wait. We'll be, uh, we'll be broadcasting. We're not far. Nebraska's playing in the rugby stadium. I know you love rugby. And oh, yeah. we're, uh, we're, we're posting up at a, at a pub. Uh, about uh, well, a bad punt away from the stadium. So we're all we're all set to go, man. Have you been to Ireland? Yeah, I have. Uh, I'd like to go more. Um, <clears throat> really nice town, or, or, or really nice. Uh, a lot of little nice towns. Mm-hmm. You know, Dublin's nice, but it's like it's still a city. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't been to Northern Ireland. Ireland. I've literally been. Uh, from Shannon, which is on the West Coast, uh, all the way around the coast and up to Dublin, which is on the East Coast, uh, which means I've kind of uh, circumvented about the, the, the southern half of the country and then the northern half. There's easily that much more again, and I haven't been on the interior at all. Now, Coach, while you were there, did you kiss the Blarney Stone? It's uh, according to legend, it gives the gift of gab. So, I mean, it kind of sounds up your alley. You know, uh, I didn't kiss it. I sort of high fived it. Uh, to be to be honest with you, now people do kiss it, and so you, there better be some magical properties in that Blarney Stone. Let me just say, okay, so it's a really cool castle. And I and it's a cool legend. It's not nearly as big a castle as you think, because um, you know Scot- Scotland and Ireland have some massive castles, mm. and it's really not that big of a castle, and um, by castle standards, and it is a shoot. It's a it's literally a a whole uh, production. I mean, you go up there now, my. Uh, my wife and my daughter kissed it because they, you know, they're doing everything they could think of uh, for good luck, you know, going into the season, no matter what it was. <laughs> and my wife, who is a germ freak and a meat freak, her and my daughter both kissed the Blarney Stone. Okay, and uh, and, and I am not, uh, you know, that you know, I'll, uh, I'll eat about anything, you know, but uh, I didn't see the sense of kissing the Blarney Stone really, but. Um, so what it is is you walk up there, and it's on the wall. The Blarney Stone's kind of at the top, you know, at the top of the wall, okay? And there will be an Irish dude there as you line up who, because you kind of lean backwards, almost like you're upside down when you kiss it, right? Mm. And so, so he leans you over, you kiss it, and there's another one to help you get your balance and get on the way. But it is literally, it is like a, a, almost a conveyor belt of uh, people. Just boom, 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 boom. And, and at least when I was there, and I think it's like this a lot. I mean, me and uh, me and like uh, several hundred of my new best friends <laughs> kissed that Blarney Stone within uh, 20 minutes or so. 
Mike Leach with us, coach at Mississippi State, the Pirate, joining us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, uh, a thought on the season. Uh, how's the uh, the squad going to be? Uh, excitement level here for another year at Mississippi State. You know, we're excited. We've got, we've got a lot of the same faces back. Uh, you know, it's like as far as the number of starts, we've got some experience. We're still not very old. I mean, I keep saying that, and, and we did get a year older from one year to the next, but uh, we have very few seniors. Um, we have, uh, we're have predominantly a junior and sophomore team, but I do have a number of guys that have started since they were freshmen, and I think uh, – you know, that's helpful as far as uh, uh, some experience, at least on the field. What do you, in all your time with Tudor and quarterbacks, you know, I don't know if you do a survey of them or, or not, but what what do you think they like doing most for you? Oh, shoot, I don't know, throwing. Um, <laughs> well, but I'm saying, is it is it the preparation? Is it the, uh, the game plan? I mean, just... Where, where do they have the most fun with you, I guess, is the better way to put it. I, I think there's a point to where that um, practice, meet and practice, you know. I mean, those both of those things get long, mm-hmm. uh, but you do kind of have moments of quality time with just sort of all the guys in the room, you know, and then where you're trading more stories, laughing about something, you know. Who's the biggest character you've had as a quarterback? Well, shoot, there's a bunch of those. Um, <laughs> uh, let me think here. Um, I mean, all brilliant in their own right. Characters, as far as just real characters. Just great personality. Make you laugh. Well, as far as, far as you know, wild in that sort of sense, would be like B.J. Simmons, Gardner Minshew. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just the... Uh, just kind of edgier guys, you know, and uh, uh, both of them edgy, both of them fearless. I mean, utterly fearless. Uh, and no matter what they're doing, just all in, you know. Mm-hmm. Mike Leach with us, few minutes, Hale Varsity Radio. So, Will Clark was down in Starkville. Had you uh, connected with Will Clark before? You know, I have, I, I've texted back and forth with him, and I'm, you know, he just made it into the Hall of Fame, so I'm I'm really thrilled about that. Yeah, great. And, you know, growing up, I was a Will Clark fan. Um, you know, I was definitely a Will Clark fan. I wasn't really growing up. I was the, I, I, I think we're approximately the same age. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he might be a little. I don't know. We'd, we'd have to do the math, but. Um, I, I was, but I was a big fan, you know, there at the Giants because, see, <laughs> um, I went to law school in L.A. and 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 I was growing up. I was a, a kid that was more of a, a Yankees fan, so I hated the Dodgers. And so then, uh, but I was right near Dodger Stadium, and I loved baseball, and I especially liked watching the Dodgers play the Padres, or in particular the Giants, and. Um, and so I, I definitely liked Will Clark. And Will Clark was just such an intense student of the game. And, you know, I mean, you know, you do it the right way. Even if you're an, an opponent or something, you don't hustle to a base. Will's going to let you know, you know. Sure. And, uh, uh, no, I think just uh, just outstanding. It was great for baseball. And, uh, and the way he was great is just, uh, you know, 
just completely committed. There was no gray area. Will was, was all in. And so, um, but he just got inducted to the Hall of Fame, so we're thrilled about that. Coach, you mentioned growing up around Dodger Stadium, and today the, the legacy and the life of Vin Scully is on our mind. Do you have any memories of, of listening to, to Vin Scully call Dodger baseball games? Well, I mean, I've got to say, you're, 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 I was kind of unfairly biased against the Dodgers, and <laughs> so listening to Vin Scully can be quite painful to me. Um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, rooting for him to lose when they were winning all the time was tough a little bit. And um, uh, so, because, you know, I was, uh, I was uh, at that time, I was a Yankees fan, or first and foremost, whatever team that Billy Martin managed, okay? Uh, Billy Martin was my favorite guy. They said, I've even been asked, who most inspired you to, you know, coach football or what coaches do you look to? Occasionally, they're surprised to, to hear, but maybe number one is Billy Martin, and um, and uh, so and I would I wish I would have gotten the opportunity to meet Billy Martin. I never did, um, but uh, I know his son a little bit. But that <laughs> always admired Billy Martin, and uh, you know, com- uh, committed student of the game, no matter what, no matter how old he got. Uh, and then always felt like he could find a way. So I really liked that. Okay, so then you got the Dodgers, and then you got Vince, uh, Vince Scully talk, uh, talking about getting products from Farmer John's, you know. Mm-hmm. In L.A. there's, uh, you know, I guess it's like bacon and stuff, but, you know, Vince uh, Vin always wants you to go to Farmer John's and get your stuff there, you know. And, uh, you know, in there, everything was just so happy, click, click with the Dodgers. And I started watching the Angels. And to this, uh, I mean, even now, I'm a big Angels fan. I, I mean, uh, the Angels converted me, uh, you know. Oh, and then uh, I, I, I tend to follow managers. I mean, I I like Don Mattingly so much as a player when he, when he managed the Dodgers. Then, of course, you know, I... Uh, kind of made some exceptions and so anyway and then and actually rooted for the Dodgers to you know to make a recent World Series but um, uh, but no Vince Scully would just echo through your head so if you're hating the Dodgers and you're in LA and you're driving in your vehicle and the radio's on and you're stuck in traffic which is virtually guaranteed all the time Vince Scully Vince Scully Vince Scully you know it was it was almost like a, a, a Chinese water torture with the voice of Vince Scully, and um, but uh, yeah, and I do have to say this though, just listening to him broadcasts and all that, he is literally one of the greats. Uh, you know, kind of did it his way. Totally. Uh, uh, I mean, you, you, you knew immediately. There's never any question. Let's see who's broadcasting this. Is it this guy or that guy? No, you knew damn well it was Ben Scully, you know. And I, I, I think very uh, a true original, and I just did great at what he did, and and all that, you know. I uh, and I was, uh, I'm proud to say I heard him during his heyday, and mm-hmm. at the time I should have appreciated it a little more. Few more minutes. Uh, the pirate with us, head coach Mike Leach, Hale Varsity Radio, head coach, coach Mississippi State. Managers are, are fun. The personalities love Don Zimmer when he was with the Cubs. 
Uh, always got a kick out of uh, some of the, the, the clips of Earl Weaver. I mean, Coach, oh, yeah. Earl Weaver got his money's worth all the time, didn't he? I mean, he was an artist of the F word. Oh, they said he was the most profane one. So I've talked <laughs> to these guys, you know, and you, <clears throat> you would see like uh, guys ignite like Billy Martin and Dick Williams, you know, that were pretty explosive. But they said they 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 said, they said the the wildest, most profane of all of them was uh, was Earl Weaver. Earl was and, and, talented. And to be honest, uh, what I heard, and I wasn't there or anything, but his favorite word uh, wasn't the F word. It was another one. <laughs> you know, there, there's a couple words that go beyond the F word. Yes. And uh, he favored those. <laughs> Who's the most profane coach you've gone up against? Well, there's things that I give them a run for their money, believe me. <laughs> um and um, profane coach. Who's really good at swearing, you know? Well, some, you know, some people just can't. Some people, it's too forced. I mean, they're, they're, you know, swearing is like any other talent. Um, you know, it's it's like you develop the skills to do it, and some are more gifted than others. <laughs> like, for example, um, some will get the, you know, the – the words out of order or backwards mm-hmm. or they just don't flow right or, you know, their swearing feels really forced. Um, and then, uh, but people that can really do it effectively, um, one, it's funny to hear, uh, two, it's intense and three, the words flow together. So like a really good, um, a really good, uh, example of how to swear effectively um, you know, where it blends together and sounds nice. George C. Scott was great at it. Like, think about Patton. Right. George C. Scott and Patton, a master at swearing. I mean, really good. And um, and so, you know, there's there's uh, there's there's coaches that are able to get that direction, and then there's others where it's just all chopped up in sport and and uh, all chopped up and forced and. And, you know, those you almost wish they'd uh, surrender and not desecrate the art of swearing. You know what I mean? Well, Bo, from an intensity standpoint, I would think Bo would have rated the eight or eight or nine oh, no, out of ten. Good. Yeah. No, no, he's good. Like, I don't know him that well. Uh-huh. <clears throat> um, but, you know, I was at spring meetings with him and all that. No, he held his own. You know, he was definitely good. We got to put a, a field of 64 bracket together with Coach Leach here when it comes to uh, seeding the swearers in college football. Mike Leach with us, coach at Mississippi State, the Pirate, joining us here on Ale Varsity Radio. Coach, couple of minutes and we'll let you go and we'll, we'll get back with you here uh, closer to the season kicking off. One, when it comes to Nebraska beef, what are you drafting? Are you drafting New York Strip, Ribeye, T Bone? Or fillet. Okay, say that. Okay, let's start a, start again. So we got what is it? You got a New York Strip, a ribeye. Okay. You got a T-bone, or you have a fillet. I left the sirloin off. Go, I have to go the ribeye. Okay. Um, the ribeye. I mean, there's those who would argue uh, the New York Strip or the fillet if they're on their diet. <laughs> um, but you know, if you go all in on this thing, I mean, how, how do you? Uh, how do you beat a ribeye? I mean, ribeye is uh, uh, ribeye is kind of the ultimate, you know. 
Lastly, what happens to Saul? Are you caught up? Better call Saul. Okay, no, I am not. And I was in the middle of it last night. I thought maybe I'd finish it. I still went to bed late. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I was going to go to bed even later to finish it off. Um, I'm almost to the end of the second to the last episode. Okay. And I got the last episode sitting there. And what I've gotten preoccupied with, and I did finish, is Gaslight. And I thought it was very good. Okay. I thought it was very good. It was very accurate till the end. And, and see, when this is years ago, probably 20 years ago, but I've, I've read about five books on Watergate, not, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on the, <laughs> the various characters involved. And I've read their books. And, um, and a working knowledge of the characters in Watergate, I think, is key. But I was pretty captivated by Gaslight. I ran it back a number of times, you know, would re-listen to stuff, how they put the the words together, some things like that. But um, I thought they really did a good job. Um uh, you know, I think they missed some things mm-hmm. in those docudramas. You know, to me, they're always part reality, part documentary, part comic book, and part uh, um, dark comedy or something like that. And it was all of that. It was good. Um, and I, it was real, real, real accurate till the end when I think they needed to make the characters talk, so they kind of put them together. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made John Dean a lot more of a hero than he was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another sequence where uh, they swapped one character out for another. But it might be the best dialogue of the whole show. Anyways, I thought it was good. I highly recommend it. Okay. And those that don't like it will be because they don't know the characters. So I would say familiarize even Wikipedia real quick like with the characters, but I really recommend Gaslight. And it's very, has a lot of parallels with our government now. Um, you know, these guys that get a certain amount of power, first of all, you think they're really smart, which that's not true. <laughs> and second of all, you think on some level they can be trusted because you're all fighting for the same thing. And that's absolutely not, not true because, you know, self-interest totally rules the day. Coach, couple of episodes left for Better Call Saul. Two weeks for the uh, the series finale, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll be in touch for that. Awesome to get caught up with you. Always love spending the few minutes. Thanks for your time today. All right. Well, great talking to you. Good to hear from you again. Each year, approximately five thousand children are diagnosed with brain cancer. Of those children, nearly 30% will not survive, and many of those that do are left with debilitating side effects for life. We're asking you to help by tuning in to the 10th Annual Team Jack Foundation Radiothon presented by the Home Agency on September 29th. Become a champion for a cure for just $20 a month. Visit teamjackfoundation.org to learn more. Thank you for helping us fight for a cure. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts... Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he was 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me.
Welcome to it, Weekend Edition, Hour 2 at Tale Varsity Radio, presented by Currency for all your equipment financing needs. Go Currency, Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Elijah Herbel, and uh, Brady Altman joins us this morning. Uh, we are excited to have Brady in. We uh, know Vogues is making the trek back home, so we'll c- get caught up here, well, most likely in the new year, fellas, with uh, with Vogues on the Saturday morning edition, but Brady's done exquisite work with Hale Varsity uh, this football season and beyond as a staff writer can find Brady on Twitter at Brady Altman's and uh, Brady thanks for for popping up early in the morning with us and a pretty big weekend another official visit weekend for Nebraska it's been the rural world tour this week different parts of the U.S. and uh, and he's back in Lincoln hosting a few guys just briefly uh, a couple three kids that uh, you're intrigued by uh, that are in Lincoln this weekend. Let's start there. Uh, well, right away, uh, Ramir Stewart, the safety from Philadelphia, stood out. Um, he really seemed to really enjoy his visit. Um, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if he decided that he wanted to, you know, pull the trigger uh, this weekend or soon after uh, to commit. Um, the Florida uh, transfer, Corey Collier, the cornerback, I think if you want some guys that can step up right away and fill in potential starting gaps or help fill out depth in the secondary, I think he's a, he's a big get. And then I think kind of one of the, one of the guys that flies under the radar uh, is the, the young linebacker from, uh, from Oklahoma, Eric Fields. He's the guy that kind of is that developmental project that the, the rule startup or rebuilding Tour likes to likes to have, and I think he could fit in well in Lincoln. Brady Oltmans is with us on Hale Varsity Radio, and dive in a little bit more to Eric Fields. Um, he's an, another one of those track guys, right? Sub sub eleven hundred meter dash. I think he's ten six or something. But if I if I read correctly, he, he had something like one hundred eighty tackles over the last couple of years too. <laughs> so maybe not as much of a football flyer as as we might think. Yeah, I think he's one of those guys that. He's he's not a football only guy. Uh, he's kind of a he's a multi sport athlete, and he's from not a huge school. I mean, he he, he kind of gets to fly under the radar in that perspective. But w- when you're at a smaller school and when you're not going to camps all the time and you're doing multiple sports, that gives you don't get the same attention that other recruits get, and that could be a potential big reason why he's not getting the stars that everybody had that everybody else has that is as good as as him or on his level. Uh, so I think that he's one of those under the radar guys that Matt Rule likes to get in uh, uh, at the start, at least at the start, and then kind of through the out the duration of his uh, rebuilding projects at Baylor and Temple. It's worked for him there, and I think that that's a guy that might not be able to play right away, but you know, come year two is really fighting for a spot and filling out some depth, and then might become a potential star for him. Brady Oltmans is with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Brady, are you hearing anything about what the, the main pitches have been over the recruiting weekends the past couple weeks with, I mean, so many different things you can sell from a new facility to NIL to a new coaching staff with new schemes coming in. There's a lot that can be sold by a new coaching staff coming in, especially at a place like Nebraska with, with even the despite the, the way that the football program has looked over the past couple of years. You have some things to sell. And have you heard anything about what this coaching staff is trying to sell? Uh, I think if you were to boil it down, the the essence of the pitch is it's a new era in a historic place. 
I mean, the the brick and mortar Memorial Stadium, the tradition, the fans, the streaks, all of that, that's still going to be there. But you have a new coaching staff that's, you know, found success in Philadelphia and then in Waco. Why can't they find it in Lincoln? You've got a new, huge new training facility that's going to go up. That's going to be brand new. You can be part of the rebuilding project is what they tell recruits. They've got a great, a better starting point now in Lincoln than they had in Philadelphia and in Waco when he took over. That helps. You're playing in the Big Ten against Ohio State and Michigan and on national television every single week. That's a big selling point. And I think that it just kind of gets guys riled up that says, you might not be able to play right away, but if you want to play in the NFL and if you want to play long, long time in the NFL, you can come develop for a little bit, play at the big level, and then get there. Brady, you said riled up in there. I just want to warn you, that was the student section shirt whenever Mike Riley was hired. So watch yourself with saying, <laughs> with saying riled up. It brings back some bad memories. Well, it's funny you say that because I, I understand a lot of people would point to Mike Riley's tenure um, as, as like, a, oh, here we go again. But less people point to the Scott Frost tenure, which was ar- inarguably worse. Um, so, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Brady, you have different dynamics right now. Uh, with recruiting philosophy you've got rule who's going to go look at a kid and you're a dude that fits with us you had uh, an approach where you had offer after offer offer uh, after offer put out by the the frost era okay they put a ton of offers out there strength in numbers right and then you had to the, the the riley era with uh, what Elijah touched on, you kind of had this. Let's let's get the hype train rolling with all these high-level dudes from California, the Calabrasca movement, and then the bow mentality of we're going to get who we who we can get. They're good football players, but we're going to be a little bit more, um, a little different in how we go. And Elijah and I have highlighted this. Kenny Bell was a guy that. People were unsure of Nebraska says, Hey, we think you can be great because you're fast. Amir Abdullah, defensive back or running back, Taylor Martinez, athlete. Okay, kid, go play quarterback. You know how that went. A little unconventional is how Nebraska went under the Polini era. So we've seen the last four coaches we've just rattled off. Uh, and you, you now have rule. Why do you think it can work with rule in Lincoln with his recruiting philosophy? Well, it's really interesting if you if you kind of look at break it down to different positions, right? Um, he has said that he likes speed, speed on the outside, speed at running back, speed at receiver, or speed at corner, wherever in in the secondary, strength in the middle. So you've got to have a good, strong physical line on both sides, and then he he can go off of the tr- you know the track kids and the developmental kids just by looking at them on the stat sheet, but at quarterback and linebacker. Matt Rule does not like to offer guys unless he sees them in person. He doesn't trust film on them. He wants to see the intangibles. He wants to see the movements. He wants to 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 break down, you know, those key quarterback positions either on offense or quarterback of the defense at linebacker, especially in Tony White's 3-3-5. So it's 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 going to be really interesting to see now that he's got his feet set in Lincoln where where his um his his time where like how, how quickly is he going to pull the trigger on some quarterback prospects? I know he's offered a couple of linebackers here, but th- that's going to be, 
that's going to be one thing I think is kind of universal. I mean, you've got to be physical and strong and tough. I think that that's, that's just come standard with the Big Ten. But you look at how Michigan and Ohio State have built their rosters. I mean, they're not slow on the outside. You, if you can get guys that are fast and can play college football, that's a good way to go. I just I'm not exactly sure if if you could define Scott Frost's tenure and his recruiting style as a similar style. He liked fast guys, but they didn't they didn't particularly build up into much outside of uh, the potential that they came in with. You know, you had a couple of standouts, but nobody that um, exploded and reached that ceiling through development like Matt Rule likes to do. And I think that might be the, the biggest difference. Brady Oltman's with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Brady, I, how much have you looked into or seen um, Philip Simpson, who is the head coach at Homestead High School in the South Florida area, and kind of built them up into a into a pretty good regional power for some handful of Division One guys that are on that roster all the time. He has changed his Twitter profile. He has announced it was in the Miami Herald that he was going to be a quote assistant defensive line coach and recruiter at Nebraska which probably translates not to an on-field role. Is there anything you've been able to glean for what his role will be as he comes in? Well, I think he's – I don't know if he'll be as much as a, uh, an analyst as a graduate assistant. That I'm not exactly I, – I haven't been able to, to kind of sort out yet. But he's going to be a guy that's on staff that has those – he has the Matt Rule connection because he played defensive line at Temple – uh, he's a guy that clearly is interested in coaching. I mean, he took over the head, you know, that head coaching job and did really well over the past uh, couple seasons down there. And I, I think geographically speaking, I mean, Homestead is South, South Florida, you know, you're yeah. that you can only get further South by going to Key West. So it's Tony White was um, with his history of recruiting uh, San Diego state and Arizona state was out on the West coast recently. They've hit Texas with Matt rules ties. They've hit the Northeast. EJ Barthel is, is, and was running around that area. And then Matt rule went back to his home state in Pennsylvania. They've got guys running around. If you can get somebody like a, a, a Philip Simpson, a guy that's coached high school kids and is, is anxious to get to the next level and work his way up at the collegiate level. He comes with those connections in Florida. I know that they've um, DiCaprio Boodle has already signed off with his letter of approval on him. Uh, so you've got a lot of guys in that area that know him, are aware of him, and trust him. So I think that's a that's a big get because I I, I keep going back to I think one of the things Matt Rule was told during the hiring search was it's going to be tough to recruit to Nebraska. So he said, well, I'll get the best recruiters I can ever possibly get. So it's it's going to be really interesting as for his like coaching style. I, I think kids resonate with him. They seem to resonate with his message. I don't know if they all will at the college level or how much influence he'll have on the defensive line since, uh, you know, Terrence Knighton is the lead head defensive line coach. But it's I think he brings some of that. He brings that staffer mentality and a go getter who wants to work his way up. And I think that that helps in that rule staff. Well, what it strikes me as Brady is a guy who, and as we look through Matt Rule's history, he's a guy who's always wanted two sets of eyes on both the offensive and defensive line. I think offensively it's going to be Ryle and Matt Rule are your two sets of eyes on the offensive line. Then defensive line now looks like going to be him and Terrence Knighton. But there was a quote that struck me in the the uh, the Miami Herald that said 
the first two years down at Homestead was not about winning on the field. It was about winning off the field, getting guys who were going to win in the classroom, cutting out some team cancers, and finding guys that were going to put the team above all else. And it almost strikes me as a guy who, while his, his eyes may be on the defensive line in the practice field, his main role is going to be a guy more off the field, being a, a liaison between players, doing some recruiting, maybe going and checking classrooms, making sure guys are, are where they're supposed to be at all times. That's what it kind of strikes me as, is that guy who's going to be your off-the-field disciplinary. And I, I say that with no insight, so I wanted to get your take on that. Yeah, I, I think that, that that could be definitely spot on because it is one thing that Matt Rule really stressed in getting things turned around at Baylor, especially what he was up against when he walked into Baylor, wanted to make sure that the players were the kind of players that that he could trust to you know take care of themselves and take care of the program. Uh, it's one of the things that he said in his introductory speech when he you know, arrived and was introduced at the Hawks Championship Center was, we want Nebraska men. We want people to be Nebraska men, to, to be stand-up members of society and their community. And I think that that kind of, that works into play. So he could definitely be one of those guys that says, I, I want to be a college coach or I want to be a coach at higher than the high school rank. So I will come on under my former coach or come work under a guy that I really trust, but I'll also bring the, the kind of um, off field uh, rallying cry the, I'll, I'll be the guy that kind of brings everybody under their wing and make sure that they're doing good. And is kind of that, you know, the shoulder you can lean on, but also one that, you know, you can kind of batter at as, and use as a sounding board. So every staff needs that guy. And so he could definitely be that guy for this staff right now. Brady, want to get your thoughts here with Nebraska's quarterback situation. What, what do you anticipate with what's on the roster? Uh, What, what could come back in Casey Thompson and then uh, roll with Malik Hornsby. He's the, uh, the Arkansas uh, transfer three years at Arkansas minimal starts but is a wow athlete another track kid that that also kind of played a slash role for them so uh based on what you've seen from from hornsby is he a guy that is uh you know on a scale of one to ten where where is he at as a developmental quarterback is he coming in if he were to pick nebraska at a five uh with a red shirt year what, what can he build up to, and, and what do you think of him as as an option with with his history with Rule? I think it, right away, if you if they gave the option to redshirt him and he was accepting of that, I think he'd be a solid seven on the developmental scale because it, it's an interesting quarterback allotment. I'm, I'm excited to dive into this and write about this a little bit more in the upcoming weeks because Casey Thompson has one year of eligibility left, but he just he's having shoulder, shoulder surgery in the offseason. Uh, and after the you know the hand injury that he had last year, and then the hand injury he suffered during the season, you, he's a great he's a great quarterback or has the potential to be a great quarterback at Nebraska. But there are some un- unknowns. But I think bigger than Casey Thompson is the depth issue. I mean, it, Nebraska proved that there was no definitive number two who could step in and play major Division one college football right away. And Logan showed uh, glimpses of it. I mean, he did not play. He didn't turn the ball over against Michigan. What else could you ask for a third string quarterback, you know, against the number three team in the country? And and Chubba also, Chubba was inconsistent, but when he found his rhythm, he, you know, he goes up and gets hurt. So what, what, you know, what else can you do about that? I think this coaching staff more than anything else wants to assure their depth chart 
And with Casey only having one year of eligibility left, you could redshirt a Malik Hornsby and say, you've got multiple years, sit for a year here, learn a little bit. And if you don't trust the process, you can go elsewhere. That's fine by us. But know that we're in it for the long run with you. We trust you. Um, that's why they got in touch, you know, so many years ago out of high school. And that's why you can you can come to Nebraska knowing what you're going to get out of this coaching staff. So I, at least that's how I see it. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of coaching staff, Rule has, what, three slots still yet to announce and fill, if, if my numbers are right. And that could come in a couple of different uh, – couple of different styles you, you could break up your secondary and have like you know safeties and a cornerbacks coach if you wanted to do that linebackers appears to be open then there's tight ends receivers and quarterbacks where Satterfield can probably take one of those spots so that's like five potential slots but you have three coaches that you can hire are we getting any sense of who those guys are and when they're coming and maybe does it signal the fact that these are dudes that are either coaching in the NFL or have relayed to Matt rule that they want to finish out their college bowl slash playoff season. Um, it's, it's going to be interesting. And I, I haven't heard, I haven't heard a recurring name. One name that I am kind of interested in is a Frisman Jackson. He's the wide receivers coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. He's a guy with Matt rule ties. Um, I'd be curious to see if he's kind of on the list. You don't, with what they have now, you'd like to fill out a coaching staff, but you, this is like the last big push before early signing day. So you don't really need to have a full staff. There's no urgency to, to grab guys, you know, in the next week because you're not missing out on a whole lot. If they, you're not missing out on a whole lot if they sign, you know, after Christmas versus after new year, if you, if you get what I mean. Um, but I, with the, I think they had a plan when Matt Rule at, after his first week of the coaching staff, and I think that plan has changed because of um, factors beyond their control in the Mickey last Joseph. week, right? Yeah, and, and um, I, I think that that's partially why they had a wide receiver coach spot open. I think they really wanted to make that work, and now obviously that opens things up, which is why I think Frisman Jackson might be a guy that they reach out to and say, hey, you can come in. It's part of the reason why Satterfield was listed as a offensive coordinator and tight ends coach. Um, I think they'd like him there. They had Jake Peets ready to step in at quarterbacks coach, but he decides he wants to stay at the NFL level, uh, more power to him, but that kind of opens things up and decides what they're going to do. I'd still be really curious on linebackers coach. I mean, that, that one really kind of stands out to me. I think there has to be a guy that they're looking at or want, because at this point I'd say, Barrett Root wasn't a terrible linebackers coach. He developed some really good kids at that position. So they've, they've got to have somebody in mind to, to say, um, that's my guy, or I, I trust him and want him over Root. Brady, before we say goodbye, Brady Altman's with his staff writer, HailVarsity.com and Magazine. If you're watching the weekend edition on the YouTube channel for Hail Varsity or the Hail Varsity radio or ESPN Lincoln Twitter feed, uh, you see that scroll. That's uh, the Hale Varsity Magazine and digital. Get that Nebraska fan uh, hooked up this holiday season. GBR is the code and saves you 10 bucks. HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe. Any commitments? I know signing day is Wednesday, but anyone uh, either flip or say I'm in this weekend. Do you expect any commitments over the weekend? I do expect some. 
I think that there might be a couple off the top of my head from this um, official visit weekend. Like I said, I think Ramir Stewart wouldn't surprise me in the least if he decided that he wanted to to come to Nebraska. Mm -hmm. They might get one, at least one of the Florida transfers that are come looking either Collier or Borders, um, in addition to Marco Ortiz, the long snapper. But um, Omaha Westside's Jalen Lloyd is going to commit later today. Uh, at the Boys and Girls Club of Omaha. I'll be up there for that uh, because I think Nebraska's in a really good position with him to do both football and track as as a kind of uh, developmental thing, the kind of guy that Matt Rule really likes to get in, and he's really stressing the in-state guys. So I think between all of them, plus you've got, I mean, you've got Malachi Coleman, who's in Boulder right now taking a visit, but is still very much um, considering Nebraska, and you've got uh, some of the other transfer guys that coming in. You've got the Fields kid, I think, is really looking hard at Nebraska. So it there's a, a couple that could potentially be a lot of, of commits over the next couple of days. Brady, quickly, are you expecting any signing day drama from Benny Nagoy? It Keep your eye on it. That's all I'll say. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the coaching staff really wants some drama to happen. Well, Benny is awesome, and that'd be really good for Nebraska to get him and no doubt. He seems like a Matt Campbell guy, just a really talented guy that can can hit a ceiling, and we, we love covering him at Lincoln High. Brady, uh, have a good uh, good weekend. I know you'll be hopping around, and uh, we'll, we'll get caught up next week. Thanks for jumping in this morning. Appreciate you guys. Yep, Thanks, appreciate Brady. you. There he is, Brady Altman's. Good stuff. And, uh, again, follow him at Brady Altman's on Twitter, and he'll be uh, up there with the announcement here for Lloyd. Coming up a little bit later today. We'll step away, quick timeout, and then we'll bring in the Iron Horse. Gary Sharp will join us. Weekend edition continues. Hail Varsity, we're presented by Currency. Pardon the interruption, but I'd like to save you some money. I'm Brandon Vogel, managing editor of Hail Varsity. And I wanted to offer listeners of this podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we produce 10 issues of our monthly magazine our annual football yearbook, and all of the premium content we produce at HailVarsity.com. Just go to HailVarsity.com slash subscribe and enter the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of HailVarsity. That's HailVarsity.com slash subscribe, promo code GBR. Glad to have you back. Yes, sir. You heard me right. Here are the guys, Schmidt and Cranach. Well, Hector, here's the game plan. We're going to bring us two absolute martinis. You know how I like them straight up. And then precisely seven and one half minutes after that, you're going to bring us two more. Then two more after that every five minutes until one of us passes out. Excellent strategy, sir. Presented by Currency, Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, and Elijah Herbal. We welcome in the Iron Horse. We say hi to Gary Sharp. And Sharpie, big recruiting weekend. Uh, a lot of NFL action that gets rolling, too. And, of course, it's been the Matt Rule uh, United States Tour this week. How's, how's your week been, Gary? Good, good. I was just talking to Elijah. Uh, we, have to, we, we have to remember that tomorrow morning we have the World Cup. So this is like, today is the best day of college basketball. This is the best day of the regular season. We have five games with teams are in the top 16. We've got three NFL games, including a game in Buffalo where you can't see the stadium right now, not because uh, it's cloudy, but because it is snowing. Uh, you've got all these bowl games. This is a great, great day. Oh, by the way, 
all of us, you know, are going to stop at Phillips 66 and fill up our, our, uh, our car with gas, and then we're going to go and watch Doug Bell on the halftime show, and then we're going to go watch Nebraska, Kansas, Kansas State, and Kansas City. I mean, <laughs> it's a perfect day. Oh, my goodness. Oh my God! Good oh my work. goodness! Bringing back Doug the, Bell reference. <laughs> yeah, bringing back the big. God, what was that? The Big Eight Network, Big Twelve Network. That's a Raycom. It was Raycom. Raycom. Raycom Sports. <laughs> yeah, tonight's tonight's game is on what Big Twelve Now, which is part of the ESPN Plus family. So if you have ESPN Plus, you can watch Nebraska K State tonight. We'll, we'll get to hoops in a little bit, but uh, Gary, real quick, since you have covered the Metro extensively, done the game of the week on Cox for, for years now. You've seen Gretna multiple times. I can't think of a more sort of under-the-radar Power 5 caliber recruit in recent years than Mason Goldman at Gretna. It just feels like he doesn't get very much coverage, very much notoriety, but he's got offers from K-State, from Kansas, from Nebraska, from Missouri. He's visiting Nebraska this weekend. When I see him on film, and you've seen him up close, what I see is a... Zadiska, I'm not saying he's going to be an All-American, but a Zadiska-like prospect where he's lighter um, but moves really well as opposed to maybe a Brant Banks or a, uh, or a Ben Art type who's just massive. This guy's not massive, but, man, they, they put him out in space quite a bit, and he targets DBs, linebackers with relative ease. What, what did you see whenever you watch Gretna? Well, I'll give you another, I'll give you a, a, a different comp because he can play both sides of the ball is Baker Steinkuhler. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. You know, and we know what happened. If Steinkuhler would have been, would have, they would have just kept an offensive line, he might still be cashing checks in the NFL. I mean, he's doing pretty well for himself right now. But I, I look at him, you know why he didn't get recognized? He really didn't come on until the latter part of his junior year. Um, and they were so talented their state championship year two years ago, and they were talented this past year as well. But he didn't come on until late. And then he's on a team that's got a bunch of really good players, but his stock continued to, to grow, and it just took one offer. Now, him on an official visit, and he is, he's a vicious guy in space, as you alluded to, Mark, and I love his feet and I love his punch. And, you know, it's going to be a question because he, I think he's an offensive lineman. But Nebraska needs defensive linemen. So where are they going to put him yeah. if they get him? And if they get him, guys, that is a come-from-behind win. Because I thought for the longest time that he was going to Kansas State. Because Kansas State has really, really worked on him. But Matt Rule and Marcus Satterfield have fallen in love with Gretna. And why not? You know, the, the previous staff got Corver Dema to announce that he's going to walk on. And I think that's a great pickup because I think he's a really good football player. But they've worked hard on Mason Goldman. And I, I think they're going to get... They're going to get the result this weekend, and that's going to be a really, really good in-state pickup. Now, Gary, the, the staff is focused a lot on guys that have some sort of, you know, freakish athletic trait, whether it be running a, a 10, 500-meter dash or a 42-inch vertical jump. But it feels like a lot of these guys have had something like that where they have an athletic trait that is just an outlier type thing. Does Mason Goldman have any of that, or is he just a really, really good football player? He's a really good football player that looks like a couple other maulers that they have in this class. Like, I am enamored with Riley Van Poppel. I think Riley Van Poppel's got a chance to be a really good Big Ten defensive lineman. I think Maverick Noonan could be in that uh, category. I think Mason Goldman is the same way. You can tell that Mason Goldman at Gretna has been coached really well by an offensive line coach and a defensive line coach because technically he is very, very sound where his first step is, um, you know, where his first punch is. And he's played in an offense, actually, that I think on the offensive side of the ball has really helped him because – 
they do throw the ball, and they also run it a fair amount. So you can see him plenty of times on film in pass pro or run blocking. Gary Sharp with us here, weekend edition, Hale Varsity presented by Currency. And Gary, uh, I want to go, I should say, stay in the, in the Metro. And uh, let's talk here about uh, Lloyd and uh, his announcement. And, and if, if it is Nebraska, his, his fit, again, another, another track guy that, that Rule really likes. And there's that common commonality of transitioning or transferring the, the track athleticism to that football speed. Yeah. And, and there's, so there's a lot of these guys, I think with Jalen, so people know him for his track prowess and he played football at central, but you know, central wasn't great. So you didn't pay as much attention to central football. So he goes to Westside and of course, Westside wins the state championship and he has a monster year. And so you're like wide receiver, wide receiver. And I think he's very talented wide receiver and, you know, depending on who is going and staying and what happens, that room is thin as well. But he strikes me as a guy, guys, that he's got speed, he's got athleticism, and don't forget, he also played defensive back at Westside. So are they recruiting him as a wide receiver or a DB, or are they recruiting him as an athlete, which I think they're doing with some other guys, and saying, we're going to get a look at you, and then we're going to decide where to place you because – that's what we've done. You know, I look at Malik Hornsby, the quarterback from Arkansas that's on campus. Okay, he wants to play quarterback. Well, he's not better than Casey Thompson, and he can't throw the football. But he's got incredible speed. Is he a wildcat quarterback? Is he a wide receiver that gets to have a quarterback package? I think Jalen Lloyd fits into that, that Jalen Lloyd could actually play on either side of the ball, whatever they decide. But they all have this profile, which I think is very intriguing because we haven't really done – done those kind of recruits around here, probably back to the T.O. days, where you had just athletes and plenty of athletes, and they decided what side of the ball they were going to be on and who was going to win that battle, Charlie McBride or Tom Osborne. <laughs> I know who won it most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. But you know what, though? I mean, it makes a lot of sense to, to just go get a, a football guy that has some, some – impressive skill sets and then just see where they fit. And that's kind of been the ongoing theme, Gary, is just that rule fit. Do you fit his uh, personality type? Do you fit his athletic type? And then do you fit into uh, what, what he wants to do on the football field? And, and uh, his, his track record has been pretty good with uh, whether you've got a, a ton of hub, a ton of hype around you or not. Uh, he uh, he's a good evaluator. Yeah, it's going to, you know, guys, I think it's going to take a little bit for us to get adjusted to Matt Rule's recruiting because we spend a lot of time on recruiting around here. We look a lot at the recruiting rankings, and we all say there's no reason that Nebraska shouldn't be inside of that, that 25 to 20, uh, at least top 30, maybe into 15 to 20 on a regular basis. Well, Matt Rule, with who he's approaching, at least the, for the first couple of years, Nebraska may be more like in the 40s and 50s, and I'm not saying they will, but if they are, we're going to have to adjust how we look at recruiting rankings because that's what Matt Rule wants to do. Now, I still think you can supplement and you can go and you can win some big battles, but they definitely have a profile, and they're pretty uber-confident that they can take guys like Bryce Turner, like Jalen Lloyd, if they get a commitment today out of him, other players like that, and they can, they can find a spot for them on the field. But I also, I also wonder... 
you know, some of these guys aren't even ranked. Like Eric Fields from Oklahoma. All of a sudden, Nebraska's on him, and you're like, how come this guy isn't ranked higher? Do recruiting services with a Matt Rule recruiting at Nebraska adjust their rankings when Nebraska gets onto a guy because Nebraska is seeing something and eventually they'll have a track record of developing? The recruiting services are like, well, the Nebraska bump is back. If Matt Rule is recruiting this guy and we have him as a two-star, we got to bump him to a three-star. I wonder if that'll happen. But I, I think we're going to have to, as this rolls along, I think we're going to have to adjust how we, how we look at Nebraska's recruiting going, oh, geez, they're in the 40s. Until we see something on the field that, oh, a 40-ranked recruiting class actually is working at Nebraska. Well, well Gary, I think the, the mold is that, that Bo Pelini or even Tom Osborne style where you're elevating three-star guys, some under-recruited guys, into something better by, by noticing traits within them and trying to build on that, but then occasionally mixing in the crown jewel. And that's where I want to go here in terms of crown jewels, a four-, five-star <laughs> type guy. Are you seeing smoke atop Mount Dillon Riola this week as a lot of fans are? Well, I asked the question, and, and, and you should never stop recruiting him, and you have a new round of people that are recruiting him, and uncle is still here, dad still has a connection to Nebraska and still likes Nebraska, and now we'll get to know a new head coach, is why would he come to school at Nebraska? That's what I asked. And I'm not being snarky, guys, and you guys can answer. Mm-hmm. Why would he come to school at Nebraska and not Ohio State where – they just picked up a five-star receiver for 24, and you know what the past Ohio State quarterbacks have done. I'm not saying that Nebraska you know, it has no shot. They may have a, a little bit of a shot, but I just wonder right now why he would come to Nebraska outside of his family connection. That's, yeah. that's it. You answered it. If he comes to Nebraska, it's because of the family connection too. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, be the quarterback that that flips the script, that uh, uh, savior type mentality. Okay, here's a quarterback to to completely change Nebraska, and and go do things that haven't been done in well, and, in, in and, way too long. That's those 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 are your answers. And it could also <laughs> be a case of what we say about kids around Nebraska. They grow up watching the Huskers, and sometimes that can be a huge factor in recruitment. Saying, you know what, I want to go to the place that I grew up watching. Yeah, and here's another thing. If you've watched him play this year, he didn't have a very good junior year. Mm -hmm. I mean, he he struggled a little bit this year, and that's not saying Ohio State has backed off on him. I also don't – you know, I've never heard anybody publicly say, you know, either either somebody from Ohio State or or Dylan Riola say, well, we're only going to take him as a quarterback. You know, they they flipped a quarterback from Washington. I think everybody should take a – a quarterback every single year. I don't know. It's an interesting recruitment because it's kind of like Nebraska has to hit the reset button after the ball was dropped and recruiting him initially, where I thought they had a fairly good chance. Um, but I, you know, it's, I, I think you got to buckle up because this could be a wild ride and just not read into everything that he does. Cause remember he's a what, 16, 17 year old kid. Hey Gary, I'm curious if you've heard about, you know, we we're talking about family connections, just real quick about Nebraska connections. It doesn't appear that there's going to be, um, a lot of Nebraska connections on the full-time, you know, 10 assistant coach staff or the, the full-time coaching staff. But what about guys like Kenny Wilhite? Is he still in the fold? And then how about Mike Williams, Keith Williams, former Huskers that appear to have some sort of graduate assistant type role? Um, in, in terms of sort of the Nebraska holdovers with Nebraska ties, what, what do you think about rules approach here? And then specifically Kenny Wilhite, what have you heard there? 
Well, I, I don't know. I, you know, I haven't talked to Kenny in a while. Um, he's a huge asset in those walls. Um, I know Keith Williams is still there because Keith Williams for a bit was out recruiting um, because they were short on staff. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I know, I know some folks in the recruiting office, and it's been kind of a weird transition because a lot of the coaches haven't even been in the office more than a couple of days because they've been on the road. So, you know, everything's kind of flying, you know, by the seat of your pants right now as, you, as they come home and they do two recruiting weekends. You know, things are changing with their schedule. Um, but I don't know for sure, Mark, um, what that room is going to look like. Um, but I, I, I think I would, it would be unfortunate if Kenny wasn't kept around because here's the thing. Not only is he a former Husker, good guy, friend of mine, so I'm going to be biased, but I think he's done a really good job of getting to know the in-state prospects and the in-state coaches and facilitating that, whether it be the walk-on program or directing coaches towards uh, in-state you know, products that, hey, you should be looking at. So I, I hope that he is retained, but I don't know for sure, but I haven't heard otherwise. Okay. Gary Sharp's with us here, weekend edition of Hale Varsity, presented by Currency. Sharp, you're going to flip over to, uh, to basketball here and – uh, you look at Nebraska, what a week it was oh, oh, You know, last week with the, the teams they faced that were ranked. Now you have a week off and you're trying to regroup. Uh, K-State's a pretty good ball club. I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're at 9-1, and one, and uh, it's going to be like old times here. We just need uh, to, to bump into to Johnny Orr and, and Danny E while we're down. <laughs> well, let me first say I apologize to Elijah because we were talking Purdue last week, and I said they had no shot. And they, they proved to me that this Nebraska team is different because they don't break down mentally. And they, they play well enough defensively that you're going to keep yourself in a game. And that's a game that they, they could, have, could have won. I mean, you're better at free throw shooting. Um, you get a flurry of shots at the end of the game to fall. So, Elijah, my apologies. Uh, I said they'd have no chance. And, of course, they almost won the basketball game. Kansas State is pretty good. Um, Kansas State – Here's the thing with Kansas State. You know, Bruce Weber, and you're, you're always in the shadow of KU, but Kansas State basketball has this incredible history, but they've kind of meandered through some, some poor coaching hires, and Bruce Weber has had bits and pieces where he's been really good. Well, you make the change, which was not easy in Manhattan because, you know, Coach Weber is, uh, you know, he's attached to that program. He's a face in the community. But they decided we got to be better at basketball because KU is starting to, to – that gap is starting to grow. And so they went and hired us, somebody off the Scott Drew coaching tree, and that has turned out to be pretty good. And they went out and they used the portal, and they had some good players already in the program. They're long. They get after it. I mean, Nebraska handling the basketball tonight, they're going to have to be really, really good. Sam Grease is going to have to make good decisions because K-State will get up on you, and they will touch you on every possession. And so you have to be used to that. But, I, you know, if, if you tell me Nebraska is going to have to play a 65-62 grinded-out game, in the past I'd be like, not a chance. But that's a credit to Fred. They've changed. The mentality has changed. Guys have bought in to that end of the floor. And so I think they can play in games like that. this. But Kansas State is really good. If, if you get this win tonight, that is a, that's a good win on your, uh, your uh, non-con schedule. And, and guys – it's not a must-win game, but if you have Purdue last week and you, you kind of tease people and you look ahead what the schedule looks like, man, tonight's pretty important in Kansas City, I think, for Nebraska. We can't keep saying they're competitive. You, you have to have some validation with wins. Totally agree. Gary Sharp with us. Sharpie, have yourself a weekend, and uh, thanks for always jumping on with us here. And uh, I think we're planning on a, 
uh, a show next Saturday. We'll be in touch if, if you're available or not, but if uh, we move forward, uh, make sure Santa finds you, all right? Well, I appreciate it, and uh, kudos to uh, you and Elijah for all the Mike Leach stuff. I know uh, how, uh, how how much of a relationship you had built with the uh, Pirate. College football lost, uh, you know, not only somebody that was innovative on the field, but was himself on the, off the field. And Mike Leach was certainly one of one. So great stuff, guys. Hey, appreciate you, Sharpie. Thank you so much, bud. Thanks, guys. Yep. Take care. There he is, Gary Sharp. Cranack, we'll, uh, we got who's behind you? <laughs> That's a little tea money. That's, That's good. I money. love that. He's like, yeah. hurry up, Dad. Let's go get some breakfast. So uh, <laughs> we'll let you do that. We'll be back at you on Monday. Cranack, you be good. Elijah, you thanks will. for everything, man. Appreciate you. And so we'll wind it down and talk to you on Monday with Hale Varsity, presented by Currency. A Huda Media Production.